Okay, so we're gonna. Is that okay if I do that? I don't know. I just at least need to see y'all. You don't need to hear me, but I need to see y'all. And I've, I've brought my, my timer thing, but I don't know how to work it, so I'm setting it here so you'll know that I had good intentions. You know, my husband used to say, if you would just judge me by my intentions. And so that's what I'm hoping y'all do. And you know what? I did not know that God loved me this much. I did not know it. I show up here. Joanne is my hostess. She is a jewel. She made, I, I didn't want to go out for breakfast this morning because I'd have to get dressed. And blah, blah. So she brought me breakfast. And she did it with a Texas thing. She says, happy fall, y'all. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I froze yesterday, so she brought me some socks. So I've got <laughs> socks. And then her friend made me apple muffin. I'm telling you. I am so blessed. But then I get here and find out I get to hear Kathy last night. Oh, my gosh. She sets the world on fire. And then we get to hear Rick, and we're going to hear Sarah and Mark. I haven't met him yet, but he's got to be great. And then the Alateen speaker this afternoon. I just didn't know God wanted to fill up my cup to overflowing this weekend. And that's what I feel like is going on already. And I felt it yesterday when I met Joanne at the airport. She's just a jewel. She's thoughtful. She's had a smile and a special touch since I met her some 20-some-odd years ago. But that has only intensed, intensified over the years. My name is Stephanie Butler, and I'm a grateful member of Al-Anon. Hi, everybody. I would like to thank the committee. I'd like to thank Allison. It is just, I'm humbled. Anytime anybody wants to hear me talk, because I've heard people say, shh, a lot. And... Um, <laughs> In fact, you know what? I taught first grade for many, many years, and when one of the supervisors would come in, she, put a, she took a little sticky note, and she put it on my hand, and it said, Stop talking. And I went, What? She said, You don't give these little six-year-olds a chance. You need to stop talking. So every once in a while, I have to pat my hand and remember what she told me, because I think that's really good advice. So um, I'm done. No. Uh, <laughs> I was just trying to do what they told me to do. Uh, but Allison, she kept contact, and the committee was wonderful, and I got a basket, and then to have Joanne, and to have all this love right here. You know, you just, there's something special about Cincinnati and Kentucky. I have been here before. I've had hostesses before. I've enjoyed this hospitality. You know, Texas, they say, you know, you just come to Texas, and we're just going to love you to death. And, but up here in Cincinnati, you have a special warmth in Kentucky. It's just a, it's a way that you make people feel good, and I really appreciate that. And I love the theme, Road to Recovery, because I'm going to share my journey with you today, and we're going to talk about that road and how it started. Uh, almost 70, well, over 72 years ago, uh, I was born in Midland, Texas, and I am the oldest of three, and I was born into a Catholic Italian family. And I would, oh, I love the giggles. Um, <laughs> because if we're looking for dysfunction, that could almost be it right there. Uh, you know, but I'm just, I, I felt, I don't know, I, I, my mom and dad, they were not alcoholics. I did not grow up in an alcoholic home. My parents were social drinkers. So when I got here, I wondered how I got here. Why am I with you people? And, uh, through uh, some step work and a loving sponsor, I found out that there are some isms in my family. And there were things that I was taught as a young child. One of them was, if you do good, you get good. 
So I was a very good girl. I followed all the rules. I did exactly what I was supposed to do all the time. I was just as good as I could be. Uh, The other thing was I looked at you, and you looked so put together, and I felt so less than. So I never measured up. I was never enough. And then in my family of origin, Kathy mentioned this last night, uh, we didn't share our feelings, express them, or have them validated. We were always fine. How are you? Fine. We are fine. Thank you very much. My mama had a sign that we put in the front yard that said, we are fine. Thank you very much. (laughs) So we're going to make that come true. We are not not going to share our feelings. But let me tell you one thing that happened to me in this early time in my life. I saw my mama get angry at my daddy one time. She started crying. She walked out, slammed the door, got in the car, and drove off. The message I got as a young person was, when people get angry, they leave. So my people-pleasing was put in place at a very early age. I didn't even know it, but she left, and she came back, of course, but it was one of those things. So um, it just got to be part of who I am. So when I was a senior in high school, I met the guy I fell in love with. His name is Bill. And after we graduated from college, we got married, and we moved to Austin, Texas. And this part of my journey, oh, my gosh, this is glorious because uh, I get to teach school, which is what I wanted to do. I am married to this man that I just love, and we're just having a really good time. And uh, every once in a while, he has to travel for his work. And so he would call me, and he'd say, Steph, guess what? What? We had our meeting wrapped around happy hour. He said, it was the neatest thing. And then he'd come home and he'd say, did you know they're serving free drinks on the plane? He said that it was really made flying a whole lot nicer for me, you know. And then he started buying beers and putting them in the refrigerator. And I'm going, what are you doing that for? And he says, well, it's hot outside. I need to have a beer. So, I mean, we had not been married very long and I was already paying attention. I was watching it closely because that didn't happen in my family of origin, and I did not know why we're talking about free drinks on the plane and beer in the refrigerator, so I'm paying attention. So after we had been married for three and a half years, I became pregnant. So I need to tell you a little story here. Uh, One of my relatives was getting married in San Antonio, and it was going to be a beautiful Catholic Italian wedding, and we just, it was just a beautiful Saturday morning. So Bill and I load up from Austin and we drive back to San, down to San Antonio. And it's a beautiful, beautiful service. And the reception, champagne is flowing and everybody's so glad to see us. And I am now eight months pregnant and everybody's really happy about that too. And so as we're at the reception, I had different people coming up to me saying, your husband is the funniest thing. I have really enjoyed visiting with Bill. And then we went to the airport to wave goodbye to the honeymooners because they were flying to Hawaii for their honeymoon. And people kept coming up saying, Bill has just kept us in stitches. I just have enjoyed Bill so much. Now, the reason I was was a little bit skeptical was because Bill was raised as an only child by a single mom. And you put him in one of these big Catholic Italian gatherings, and he's not a happy camper. But for some reason, you know, I thought maybe he's got the idea now. And so um, a little while later, Bill came up, and he said, Steph, I'll be back in a minute. I said, okay. So we wave goodbye to the honeymoon couple, and they get ready to leave. And as we're getting ready to leave the airport, we start looking for Bill, and we can't find him. 
So we have him paged. We go out to the car, go up and down the ramps, and there's no bill. And so I'm just, oh, my gosh, I'm scared to death. My brother-in-law comes up, and he says, I found your husband. I said, you did? Where? He said, he's passed out in the men's room. I went, oh, my goodness. We had to get an airport attendant to take the door off the hinges. We got a wheelchair. They held him up while I buckled his britches. And then we set him in that wheelchair. And so, I mean, he was passed out. And so then I get ready to push the wheelchair, and my brother-in-law says, would you like for me to push? I said, no, no, he's my husband. I can do this. So I'm pushing Butler out, you know, and as we're going out the ramp, and he's sliding out, we're shoving him back in. And... Um, <laughs> You know, eight months pregnant. And so uh, as we're walking out, my mother says, I cannot believe that my son-in-law is drunk. I said, oh, Mama, don't say that. Bless his little heart. If you ever hear me say bless his little heart, I'm having an Al-Anon slip. (laughs) I said, bless his little heart, Mama. He is not drunk. He's just sick. She said, Stephanie, your husband is drunk. I said, no, 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 Mama, he's just sick. The reason I'm telling you that little story is because 19 years later, I was in a psychiatrist's office saying, do you think he could have a brain tumor? I'm pretty sure it's a brain tumor. Let's pull that sucker out and let us get on with the rest of our lives. He's not drunk, he's just sick. My denial was put in place that July afternoon of 1969. In August that year, a beautiful little baby girl was born. Her name is Laura. And then 21 months later, our son Wes is born. And I am telling you, this part of my journey, oh, I just felt so blessed. Two healthy children. Thank you, God. I got to teach school, and now I get to stay at home and be a stay-at-home mom. Except that little part of me that says I'm not enough, I kept trying to fill it up, you know, so I was PTA president. I was the best soccer mom you ever saw. I was counting Bill's drinks, and there's too many of them, and it's increasing. And I'm trying to get Laura to behave, and she's a Girl Scout. She's in brownies, and she doesn't want to go to those meetings, but I'm a brownie scout leader, and she has to show up there to make me look good. And so, I mean, I am, I'm just doing all of this, trying to be sure everybody's in place, doing what they're supposed to do because I brought the sign from my mama's yard, and I put it in my front yard that says we are fine. Thank you very much. So, and, you know, that's what we're trying to do. I'm trying to get it to go along. Well, I have to stop now and tell you another little story that will give you an example of what I was like. We had a border collie, absolutely beautiful. Her name's Flopsy. And Flopsy got pregnant, and we've never had that before. And so everybody's very excited. And so I decided to shampoo Flopsy because I wanted her to look good for delivery day. (laughs) As if I had nothing else to do. So I'm getting ready to, to shampoo Flopsy. And when we get through, you know, sometimes dogs run and dry, and sometimes you towel dry them. And I wanted to do it right. And I read on the bottle, and it says, do not use on pregnant dogs. Oh, my gosh. Called Dr. Pygott, the vet, Dr. Pygott. He said, well, it's about two weeks till those puppies are born. Let's see what happens. The first puppy was born, and it was born dead. And I called Dr. Pigott, and I said, Dr. Pigott, I have wiped out this Libby's. And he said, Stephanie, there's more in there. Let's just wait and see. And about an hour later, another puppy was born, and it was born alive. So I called Dr. Pigott, and I said, I didn't take them all out. We've got a healthy one. And then about an hour later, another puppy was born, and it was okay. So I called Dr. Pigott, and I said, we've got two. We've got two beautifully healthy puppies now. 
So over the course of that day, Flopsy had seven puppies. I called Dr. Pigott after every puppy. <laughs> you know how you feel like you've got the weight of the world? It is all my responsibility. I'm either going to save them or I'm going to kill them. And so uh, the last puppy had trouble breathing. And it was just tight. So I, Dr. Pigott, what do I do? He said, do you have any whiskey in your home? <laughs> yeah. And he said, well, put some on the end of a teaspoon, put it in the puppy's mouth, and then massage it down the puppy's throat. It will break up all of that phlegm. And I said, okay, I think I can do that. And he said, and then, Stephanie, sit down and drink the rest of that bottle. <laughs> it's a true story, and if I could have, I would have. You know, I really believe there should be a sign above our doors when we get here that says, are you tired? You know, if you're not tired, go out and manipulate and control a little bit more. When you get really tired, come on in. We've got a seat for you. Because I was working so hard to make us look good and to save these puppies. And, you know, and then I've got this daughter. You know, uh, Laura will tell you that she was born angry. And then she'd say, no, I was just fine till Wes was born. And so, but she broke every rule that was ever set out. I mean, it doesn't make any difference. She was acting out, and I could, she was making me look bad. And I, I, I could not stand that, and I kept trying to make her be right. And I'm counting Bill's drinks, and so finally I said, you know, we're going to take her to a psychologist, and he's going to have to fix her because she certainly is the problem. So we took her to see the psychologist, and after he met with me, he met with Bill, and then he met with Laura. And he brought the three of us back together, and he said, I need to tell you that of the three of you, your daughter is the healthiest. <laughs> he said, I don't, he said, I look at you, and all you're doing is crying. And that's the truth. Did you know when you can't, I could not express my feelings. I could not tell you I was angry, happy, sad, scared. I cried. I cried all the time. And he looked over at Bill, and he said, I think you might be drinking too much. And then he looked over at Laura, and he says, and you know what? We know how you feel. You're not expressing it appropriately, but we know how you feel. And so Laura was just, ha, ha, you know, and Bill left there so angry. And uh, I was trying to get Bill not to be angry and Laura to stop not being so uh, disrespectful. Oh, my gosh. Her favorite word was whatever. <laughs> I think she learned it when she was two. But she, no matter what you asked her to do, she would give you that snarl and roll her eyes and whatever. So anyway, so I'm trying to make the family look good, and I'm trying to do the very best I can to keep the sign standing up straight, and Laura's doing everything she can to pull it down. You know, it's like she's on the roof going, these people are crazy, somebody come help us. And, um, and she, I, was, I was upset with her, and I didn't know what to do, and I couldn't get support from Bill because he really was drinking all the time. So um, when Laura was in high school... Uh, she had to have jaw surgery. She's beautiful if you look at her from the front, but when she turned sideways from her profile, she had a very protruding chin, and she was in the choir, and sometimes her mouth would lock open. So we had to go in, and they were going to break this jawbone and scoot it back and then wire her mouth shut. I love that butt. <laughs> 
He said her mouth will be wired shut for six weeks. And I went, oh, thank you, God. <laughs> it didn't make any difference. Uh, but anyway, so I'm at the hospital. It's major surgery for our daughter. And I had my first moment of clarity. Bill wasn't there. I was doing this family and this marriage all by myself. He was passed out at home. And I started paying attention. So as I was watching and I became aware of what was going on, you know that's one of the greatest gifts this Al-Anon program gives us is the awareness. Be present. I started paying attention to what was happening in my home. My daughter's breaking all the rules. My son is the one on the soccer field thinking, I can't do it right, but I'm going to try as hard as I can. I mean, he just, he's like me. He wanted his, outside, his insides filled by the, And then I have the guy, Bill, who's passed out. Finally, in July of 1985, I looked at him, and I thought, I can't do it anymore. I love you so much, and I think you're dying. I can't watch it happen. So in July of 1985, I said, you either have to get sober or you have to leave. And he left. You can only imagine the words he said as he walked out the door. But he left, and I was just, I didn't know what to do. Two teenage children. I was teaching in a little school. I'd gone back to teaching in this little school. and I didn't have enough money, but I knew what was happening was not right. That was on a Friday, and on uh, Monday the phone rang, and it was a guy named Jerry. And he said, I understand you kicked Butler out. And I said, Jerry, I think he's killing him. Such it. And he said, I'm a member of AA, and I'd like to take you to an Al-Anon meeting. Would you go with me? And I said, yes, I'll go anywhere and do anything. So I went to my first meeting on July the 24th of 1985. And I sat there, and y'all said, can we have your first name? And I went, <laughs> you didn't care. You said, it's okay, just keep coming back. I cried and cried and cried, but I heard something I didn't know. I did not know that alcoholism is a disease. I had been judging that man and finding him lacking for 19 years. Just put it down. I had no idea it was a disease. And then you told me that it was a family disease. And if you have raised children in an alcoholic home, you have raised sick kids. And I thought my heart would break. And then you said you did the best you could at the time. And I just sat in that meeting and many meetings thereafter and just cried. I didn't know what to do. I just always thought if you got him sober, we would be fine. I had no idea that it was a family disease. And then you told me I better get a sponsor, and I better start working the steps, reading the literature, going to, to meetings. And I started doing that. I got a sponsor. I'll tell you, she had the biggest heart and the strongest hand to hold of anybody I've ever met. Her name is Blanche. And Blanche took my hand in 1985, and she walked with me continuously. She said well, she wanted us to meet every week. For, until I was through with the ninth step. So every week I was sitting it on her couch for an hour, and I was going, and then after 55 minutes she would say, would you like some feedback on that? 
You know, I wanted somebody to listen because I had been trying so hard. I'd followed all the rules and my family's fallen apart. And I just didn't understand. Well, uh, two weeks after I asked Bill to leave, he called and he said, Steph, I've been trying to sober myself up out at Willie's and I can't. Would you help? You know, I need to go get help. So on August the 6th of 1985, Bill began his spiritual journey. And I'll tell you that from that day on, we lived after. <laughs> y'all laugh hard because that's the funniest thing I'm going to tell you all morning. <laughs> Are you kidding? You know, but you know what Blanche did for me? She, I can't tell you what it felt like to be hugged by Blanche. When she hugged you, you felt completely loved. She loved me unconditionally. And she said, Stephanie, we're going to have to change your concept of a higher power. I think you have a higher power that you think is judging you. I think you have a higher power that you think can hurt you. I want to tell you something. God loves you. You can't earn it and you can't make it go away. It's called grace. It's there for free. It's there. And she said, and God can't do bad. It's just against his nature. He can't. So every time I would meet with her, she would remind me, God is big. He can't do bad. He loves you no matter what. So Bill and I are starting this spiritual journey together, and I am telling you, it is just glorious. He would come home from his meeting and said, ma'am, we talked about the 11th step. What did you talk about? And I said, we talked about acceptance. And we were just doing great. And then we have Laura. Uh, Laura is now a senior in high school, and uh, she did not like a drunk daddy, but she really didn't like a sober daddy. <laughs> you know, Bill was paying attention, and so was I, and so uh, she had broken some rule. I don't remember what, and so we had grounded her, and so she came in one Sunday afternoon, and she said, I've been doing what y'all told me, but the University of Texas is playing baseball, and I'd like to go see a game. Can I go? So Bill and I visited, and we said, yeah, you just be home at 6 o'clock this evening. She said, "I right, okay, that's what I'll do. 6 o'clock on that Sunday evening came, and Laura didn't come home. And she didn't come home on Monday. And she didn't come home on Tuesday. Oh, no. What is going on? I, I went to my meeting crying. Oh, my gosh, what's happening? And y'all said, well, what would you be doing if this weren't happening? Oh, God. Really? That's what you got for me? <laughs> I've got to go, we've got to go find her. I don't know what's going to happen to her. And Blanche would continuously say to me, did you know that God loves Laura more than you do? And I thought, he better, because I'm going to kill her when I see her. <laughs> I could, she's a senior in high school, folks. She's only got three more months till graduation, and she's gone. And I, you know, I believed it's God's will for everybody to graduate from high school. <laughs> So I just want to get her back in that classroom and get her doing what she's supposed to do, and then I'm done. I'm done. So we can't find her. I don't know where she is. I'm crying, I, which is what I do. In fact, you know what? The first year I was in Al-Anon, I cried at every meeting I went to. And I called Blanche and said, why am I still crying? I just wanted Bill to get sober, and he's sober. And she said, you are grieving the loss of a dream. You never expected your family to be ripped apart because of the disease of Al. But it gave me permission to continue to cry. I didn't have to say I'm sorry anymore. It was so on uh, Wednesday of that week, I um, 
was getting in my car after teaching and I had a moment of clarity. And this little voice said to me, if what you're doing isn't working, try something different. And I thought I have been trying to love Laura well. I can't love her well. So Friday of that week, I'm at home and the phone rings and it's Laura. She says, Mom, I'm going to be home in a little bit, so I'm going to miss this show if you'd tape it for me. <laughs> As if nothing had happened. And I listened to her, and then I said, Laura, I love you, and you can't come home. And she said, what you say? And I said, I love you, and you home. Oh, my gosh, that anger spewed out of that child. She was so angry, and I listened for a minute, and then I said, I love you, and you can. I was so peaceful. Believe it. It's one of those moments where God will do for you what you can't do for yourself, because that wasn't me. A few minutes later, Bill came in, and he said, what's going on? I said, I heard from Laura, and he said, oh, thank God, where is she? I said, well, I don't know, because I told her she couldn't home. And he said, Steph, why did you do that? Uh, he hadn't been to any al meetings. <coughs> <laughs> and I said, I don't know, but that's what I, you know. And so uh, the next morning, it's a Saturday morning, and I'm at my al meeting, and I am crying. What have I done? Oh, my gosh, we've got to get her in here. We've got to get her out of high school. This is ridiculous. I can't believe I said that to her. Why did I? Why? I should never. And so one of y'all came up, and you patted my hand and said, did you know you could have a good day anyway? <laughs> really, huh? And so, um, and I did. I did. So we're going through the, you know, and I'm just praying. I'm remembering what Blanche said was that God loves Laura more than I do. And I'm praying and going to meetings. Well, Bill decided that we needed to find a place that would take care of a teenager that had an anger management problem. And we found one in Denton, Texas. So we called Laura. She, she was, well, we don't know where she was, but we found out this day she was going to be at Sherry's. And so we called Sherry's and said, can we talk to Laura? And I said, Laura, um, we've got a place for you to go if you want some help. And she said, what do I have to do? And so we picked her up on a Monday morning, and we drove her to Denton, Texas, and I cried all the way there. My daughter looked horrible. She had been living on the streets. She had been sleeping in the park. She had been beat up in pool halls. She, oh, it, she looked horrible. I could not believe that this was our child. The only good news is that when we left her in Denton, Texas, I knew where she was, and I knew she So about three days later, we get a call from Laura, and she says, Mom, I need to ask you something. What? And she said, How would you feel about me being an alcoholic? And I said, Laura, any 12-step program you want to latch on to will be just fine with me. She said, We've been inventorying my drinking, Mom, and I've got a drinking problem. This past April the 6th, Laura celebrated 30 years of sobriety. I don't know how that happened. No. What a miracle. So we went for family week. And uh, <laughs> Laura wanted her daddy to make amends to her for something, and Bill wouldn't do that on demand. And so she got mad and threw a chair up against the wall. And her counselor says, I don't think she's ready to go home yet. <laughs> <laughs> and we said, no, really. And uh, 
so they suggested she go to a halfway house in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and so we took Laura there. So let me tell you what I wanted. I wanted Laura to graduate from high school. God said, yes, let's let her graduate by correspondence, and then let's give her a 12-step program to live the rest of her life by. I would have settled for just the graduation And God said, no, here's more. You know, I was in a meeting one time and somebody said, God has four answers for our prayers. One of them is, no, I love you too much. Another one is, no, not yet. Another one is, yes, I thought you'd never ask. And another one is, yes, and here's more. And so when Laura got that, you know, from that halfway house and she was sober, it was like God said, Stephanie, you know, so, okay, so now I'm just as happy as I can be. Laura's sober. She's back. She's got a job. Wes is a senior in high school. He's getting ready to graduate, Uh-oh. but he's playing football. He's still out there running, and he gets really sick, so he is in the hospital with 104 temperature for seven days. He has viral meningitis, so I called Blanche, and I said, Blanche, why would God do this to this boy? He's never done anything wrong. And she said, Stephanie, God didn't do that. Your boy has a virus. God will sustain you no matter what happens. And Wes survived. The difference between that hospital stay and the one with Laura, Bill and I were there together praying. The AA and Al-Anon community was there. You know, we were doing together. And Wes did survive, and he graduated from high school on time, thank God. Uh, One out of two ain't bad. And so um, (laughs) to keep my picture looking good, I'm getting better at that, by the way. Uh, But anyway, so this is just, I mean, Wes is going to the University of Texas. Laura's got a job. I'm teaching in this little school. Everything's great. And Bill comes home and says, how would you like to move to Reston, Virginia? And I said, why would we do that? And he said, I'm tired of getting on airplanes. And I said, okay, let's go to Reston. Because houses in Austin, Texas in 1990, they weren't selling. Our house sold in two weeks. Oh, no. (laughs) So the AAs and the Al-Anons are at the house. I'm sitting in the middle of the den floor crying. This guy, Tom, comes up and he said, what is the matter with you? And I said, I love Bill so much, but I don't think I can go. And he said, what? And I said, I can't leave our children. I can't leave my sponsor. I can't leave my gynecologist. I can't leave my... <laughs> Tom wrapped his arms around me, and he said, Stephanie, you know what you have in Austin, Texas. Why don't you go see what they've got in Reston, Virginia? Did you know they have Al-Anon in Reston, Virginia? <laughs> they don't do it right, but they have Al-Anon in Reston, Virginia. <laughs> I was calling Blanche. Blanche, this is horrible. What? I said, you won't believe that they did not even mention higher power in the meeting today, and they didn't even mention a step. And she said, well, what are you doing? And I said, I'm telling them how we do it in Texas. And she said, you might want to stop doing that. I did, and the meetings got really good. So this is like a second honeymoon for Bill and I. This part of our journey could not be happier. I mean, he's got a a meeting he's going to, and I've got a meeting I'm going to, and he's working, and I'm teaching in this little private school, and it's just a glorious time in our journey. And then I get a call from Lauren. She says, Mom, I need to tell you something. And I said, what? She said, I found Wes passed out last night. And I said, bless his little heart. (laughs) What happened to my boy? She said, Mama, he's drunk. 
I said, no, 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 no. He saw you lose your home. He saw your daddy nearly die. Wesley would not take a drink. Mom, so she and Bill Sponsor took Wes to his first AA meeting January the 10th of 1991. So, oh my gosh, a family in recovery? This is the big, I can't even believe it. I am so excited. And I called Blanche and said, how many miracles does one family get? She said, are you going to limit God one more time? <laughs> so then I get a call from Lauren. She says, Mom, I need to tell you something. I said, what? And she said, I'm pregnant. I said, no, you're not, sweetie. <laughs> she said, Mom, I'm going to have a baby. I said, no, Laura, you're not going to have a baby. She said, Mom, I said, Laura, honey, first you have the wedding, and then you have the baby. We did not have a wedding. You are not having a baby. She said, do you want me to have an abortion? I said, no. She said, do you want me to give the baby up for adoption? I said, no. She said, what do you want? And I said, I want for you to not be pregnant. (laughs) Blanche said I was opting for one of my uh, unavailable choices. Oh, my gosh. How could she do that? She's sober five years. How could she be pregnant? I was just horrified. So I didn't tell anybody. I was ashamed. Kept it a secret. Well, Bill and I had been having big book study meetings in our home. And one Wednesday evening, everybody was leaving, and Rita and George were there. And I said, Rita, come here. I need to tell you something. It's horrible. It's just horrible. She said, what? I said, you got to get ready. This is bad. Really bad. She said, what? And I said, Laura is pregnant. Hmm. I said, no, 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 no. You don't understand. She's not married. Rita goes, hmm. I said, Rita, she said, Stephanie, what a shame that you have to look at something, judge it, and find it lacking. Can't you just say it's what is? It's just what is. The most beautiful baby girl you have ever seen was born on June the 6th of 19. Her name is Stephanie Grace. The happiest day of my life. I would have missed it because it didn't. Oh, my gosh. Bill's there sober. Wes is there sober. I'm there crying. We, did not, we didn't need to have a wedding to have that baby. Really, I, you could not wipe the smile off my face. People thought there was something really wrong with me because I was just smiling all the time. And they'd say, are you okay? I'm a grandma. So I need to tell you a little story about Grace. She was in second grade, and the, teachers wanted, the teacher wanted the children to introduce themselves. My Grace stands up, and she says, My name is Grace. I'm an alcoholic, and I've got seven years of sobriety. <clears throat> she had never heard people introduce themselves any other way. This is my name, I'm an alcoholic, and this is how old I am. Um, so, you know, Grace really, she started going to meetings before she was born. She, are, she grew up here with y'all. Y'all helped raise her. We didn't need to have a wedding to have a family to raise Grace. So I'm just about as grateful as I can be. And a few months later, I get a call, and they tell me from San Antonio, and they tell me that my daddy had an aneurysm in his belly, and it had ruptured, and he had died instantly. And I was devastated. I loved my daddy. But I'll tell you what, I had no regrets. I had done a night step with my dad. He knew how I felt about him. I loved him as much as I could, and he loved me. 
So I'm just, you know, but because of y'all, because you have taught me that the steps work, that I have to do them. It's important. So then I have to tell you the part of my story that I wish I didn't have to share. In February of 1994, with eight and a half years of sobriety, Bill Butler could not live with his humanness, and he committed suicide. Bill suffered from depression. He had been on and off of antidepressants, and he was feeling good, so he took himself off. You need to hear two things this morning. AA works. Bill cherished his sobriety. Depression is an illness, and if it goes untreated, it will kill you. We had been out to dinner and to the door the day before. I did not see it coming. The hardest thing I've ever done in my life was to call our children. And Laura said, Mama, Daddy loved you too much. He wouldn't do that. And Wes said, Mama, Daddy loved you. He'd never go away and leave you. It's not about love. It's about a deadly disease. I don't know how I put one foot in front of another, except that you told me, I would never have to do anything alone again. And you stuck by your word. You held my hand. Can you imagine what would have happened to me if you hadn't been there? I can't even imagine how I, you know, breathed the next breath. I adored that man, and he loved me. It's not about love. It's about a horrible, horrible disease. Blanche had told me it was necessary for me to uh, get some outside help. And I found a counselor, and her name was Nancy, and she was a godsend. I met with Nancy two and three times a week for a year and a half. I just couldn't get it. It's the one death where there's no answers. All these questions. But Nancy gave me a piece of information that helped me heal some. She said, Stephanie, you have been traumatized when your life changes in one instant and will never be the same again. It's different than grief. It's more intense. And I had times when I would go and try to do something and I, would, I couldn't do it. And I would call her and she'd say, Stephanie, it's trauma. Sit down. Get somebody else to help you. Oh. So they wanted to have a service for him in Virginia, and we did. <clears throat> One of my teacher friends came up, and she said, who are all these people? She said, you've lived here four years. I've lived here 20. I don't know half this many people. And uh, we brought him back to Texas and had a beautiful graveside service for him. I don't know how other than the grace of God. And God with skin on People kept saying to me, don't forget to breathe. And I would go, oh, yeah, I've been holding. Don't forget to breathe. So I've been, you know, one foot in front of the other. You know, just hold on. Just hold on. But it took every hug I've ever gotten, every piece of literature I've ever read, every, you know, phone call, every meeting for me to be able to do it. The kids wanted me to come back home, and I said, no. I said, I don't know why, but I need to stay here. And so I was in Virginia, and I was teaching school. 
And almost two years to the day after Bill died, I walked in the house and I went, he's not coming home. It took two years for me to get the information from my head to my heart. It was so clear. I called Laura and said, I think I'm coming home. And she said, for real, Mom? And I called Wes, and he said, well, okay. He had gotten married. She had gotten married. I think that they were wondering what their poor little widow mom was going to do to their lives. And uh, I'm weller than that. Anyway, so I'm getting ready to leave Virginia, and people are saying, where are you going? Are you going to Austin? I went, oh, no, it's gotten too big. Well, where are you going? I said, you know what I found out living in Virginia? I love sunsets. And the trees are so tall, you never get to see a sunset. So I'm going to go find a sunset. And I love water. Bill and I had been to Rehoboth Beach, and I'd been by the ocean. And we don't have oceans, in, I, but I love water. And I said, and I've never lived in a new house before. And so you know what God said? Okay, I have a new house that is on Lake LBJ. And the sun sets over Pack Saddle Mountain right out my back door. It was as if God was saying, I am so sorry. And here's your home. So I open my doors and I get rid of the furniture and everything. When Bill was working, he was an extremely good employee. And every time he put some money into whatever their fund was, they doubled it anyway. Anyway, so when he died, there's this lump sum of money. And so I'm thinking, well, Grace and I are going to go on sober cruises together, and I'm going to buy this new house. And so, so when I get ready to leave Virginia, I said to the guy, Bruce, you know, I'm going to be in Texas, so I need for you to send the money to Texas. And he says, all righty. So I get to Texas, and I get in this new house, and I don't have very much, I don't have any furniture because I sold it or gave it away. So I keep waiting for Bruce to send the money, and the money doesn't come. And I go to the guy there in Marble Falls, and I say, well, don't, just wait. He's coming. It's going to come. He's a really good guy. Uh, well, the money didn't come. Bruce stole almost $300,000. It felt like another death in the family. I couldn't stop crying. What am I supposed to do now? I really, I really thought, this is the end. I can't do it. I don't know what else to do now. I just sat down and cried. Well, the people in Virginia wanted me to press charges against Bruce, and I did. And I went up there to see him, and the guy, I didn't even have a lawyer. I just had a friend's husband who was going to act like my lawyer. And so um, we play pretended. And so I, so, but I, you know, we're on the way to the courthouse, and he said, now, Stephanie, this is a business deal. He said, I need for you to stay calm and everything. I said, okay. So the judge asked me to come up. And I went up, and she said, could I have your name, please? And I went, <laughs> poor Vince goes, oh, no. Anyway, she, she sentenced him to two years in prison, which was the maximum that she could give him. And she said, I am so sorry. She said, I hope you'll be able to get on with your life. And I thought, I don't know what to do. They had done a paper trail. The money was all gone. It wasn't coming back. They had ordered him to make restitution, so periodically I would get a check for $25 or 50 And so, you know, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know. I went home, and I just sat down. And Laura says, Mom, you've got to pray for clear and concise direction. <laughs> Laura, my knees hurt. I'm trying. I was trying to do everything I knew to do, and I did not know what to do. 
except I'd been into open AA meetings, and y'all told me I needed to pray for Bruce. So I started praying for that. <laughs> That's all I could say. God bless us. And then I got to where I could say his name, and I pray for Bruce and have for the last 20 years, every day. And you helped me get rid of that knot in my stomach. So I didn't know what was going to happen. Well, you know what God did? He built an elementary school seven minutes from my house. They needed a first-grade teacher. I got to teach. Oh, my God. It never was about the money. You know, I would get a paycheck from the school, and I was so excited, and I'd call Laura and say, I got a paycheck, and she'd say, good, Mom, how much is it? I said, I don't know, and I'd open it up, and I'd start laughing. She'd say, (laughs) you know, they never have paid teachers enough. And I opened it, and I said, well, it's not enough to make a house payment. And she went, Mom, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. I said, you know, I've done the footwork. I guess God's going to take care of the money. I'm just going to go teach. It has been the biggest blessing of my life. Those children have walked across my heart. I have a place for Loki and a place for Rosie and a place for Steel. Those are the little kids that were there. It never was about the money. Now, and I can't write Bruce a thank you note yet, but um, <laughs> if the money hadn't gone, I don't know what I'd be doing. So anyway, I've been teaching school there for 17 years and just loving it so I start teaching and everything and so Blanche and I had well I have to stop because I forgot to tell you something very important when Bill died there was a gal that I'd been sitting in meetings with in Reston and her name was Dawn and Dawn called my house and said if you ever need anybody to talk to you can come so Dawn became my Virginia sponsor I sat on her couch for hours after hours, and she just held me and let me cry. She knew pain, and she knew love. She was the greatest. Her thing always was, don't we serve an awesome God? That's her favorite thing to say to me. So now I come back to Texas, so now Blanche and I are reconnected, and Dawn and I are long distance, and so I have this little Oldsmobile car, and I've you know, been driving it, but I don't know how you pay for a new car when you don't have any money. And so, um, anyway, during all of this, Blanche was in an automobile accident, and she ended up in the hospital. So, I would get in this little red car, and I would get ready to drive to Temple, Texas, and I would do, you know, God, please, I just need to get there. Sometimes it stopped, and sometimes it didn't, and so... I would get to uh, Temple to take care and try to love Blanche on the weekends when I went. And uh, she did not survive her injuries. And so I got a call from her daughter, Ellen, who said, if you want to say goodbye to my mom, you better. And I jumped in that little red car, and I said, you know, God, I didn't get to say goodbye to my daddy. I'd, Please let me say goodbye to Blanche. And I was holding her hand when she And I said, I hope you can see the lives you've touched because you have been willing to share. Um, I miss her every So uh, they're having a memorial service for her, and they asked me if I would share a few words, and I said, sure. So that morning, the phone rings, and it's Laura. And she says, Mama, you're going to tell them how important Blanche was to our family, aren't you? And I said, Laura, you hated Blanche. (laughs) 
She did. I said, you know what? Laura says to me, Mom, if it hadn't been for Blanche, she said, you taught me to not, you would not accept unacceptable behavior. You taught me there were consequences for my choices, and you held me accountable. If it hadn't been for Blanche, Mom, so I could share that with them. And so a few months later, I get a call from her daughter, Ellen, and she says, uh, I don't know if you're going to understand or not, but uh, I had a visit from uh, my mom last night. (laughs) She's worried about your transportation. Oh, of course she is. And she said she wants you to have her car. And I said, I could never take Blanche's car. She said, well, you're going to have to argue with my mother and God. Blanche was driving a brand-new Cadillac had 23,000 miles on it, and it was all paid for. I just wanted enough money. God said, yes, and here's more. I drove that car for 10 years and felt hugged and loved every time I got in. Thank you, God. It's never been about money. I am so grateful. When I had to trade that car in because it had over 150,000 miles, I'm standing there crying, and the, the guy says, lady, it's just a car. I said, oh, no, it's not. I mean, this is Blanche. Anyway, so I need to get on with this. Let me see where I am. Okay, so I'm teaching school. I'm having a wonderful time, and just really, I am. Laura, and uh, she's sober, you know, and Wes, uh, well, how am I going to get you to where I'm supposed to be? Um, He's got the car, teaching school, so, uh, and loving it, and loving it, loving it. You know what? What you're going to hear from all of our speakers this weekend is their passion for Al-Anon. Every speaker you have this weekend is going to talk to you with passion. I already know that. I have heard them. They are. So let me tell you, I had a passion for teaching. That was my passion. I loved it more than I could even. I went to school every day glad to be going and came home so tired I could hardly move. But I was so grateful to be able to do that. Well, as I am growing up, I am having knee problems, you know, and so I go to see the orthopedic surgeon and say, I don't know what's wrong with my knee, but he said, how tall are you? And I said, I'm 5'2". And he measures me, and he says, no, you're 4'11". I said, oh, my gosh, what happened to me? And he said, your discs have compressed. And you have been standing on concrete for 34 years. It's time to sit down. My daughter's comment was, Mom, pretty soon you're going to be on eye level with those first graders. <laughs> so I started grieving. You know, I thought it was the, the end of my profession. I didn't know how I was going to say goodbye. And when I signed the papers, the lady at the retirement place, she said, most people are happy when they come here. I said, I don't want to quit. Well, why are you? My daughter's making me. Um, The truth of the matter is I'm too old to teach first grade. Uh, They replaced me with a 23-year-old. I was grieving, I thought, the loss of my profession, but what I was grieving was the the, uh, loss of my youth. I couldn't do any more at 72 or 70 that I could do when I was. So I had to redefine my new normal. And uh, but I well, I really did cry. I miss those kids so much. I cried for six months. I just miss the little people. They are just so special to me. 
But, you know, so I, somebody suggested I go take square dancing lessons, so I'm taking square dancing lessons. And so they just all have pity on me because I'm uh, by myself, and different women loan, loan me their husbands so that I can dance. And, you know, and so uh, they've been very patient. So let me bring you up to date what's happened now. I have to hurry because I need to tell you about Laura. Bless her heart. She is married to a wonderful sober man, man in Alcoholics Anonymous. The first one didn't work, but it worked the fifth time so she married the first guy again number five and uh, he's sober and they've got a sober home and it's wonderful Wes well, after his dad died he couldn't he did not know what to do with himself he could not stay at the University of Texas and he went to Wyoming he's in Wyoming working on a ranch and a horse throws him and falls on his back and uh, falls on him and breaks his back so Wesley gets hooked on pain medication. And so, but uh, he comes back and he f- somehow gets cleaned out of that. And he is going to uh, college and he gets a master's degree and he's teaching school and he gets married and they have a little girl. And so now I've got Grace and I've got uh, Dylan and I'm just so happy. And his marriage didn't work, it uh, didn't last. And so Wes has been in and out. Uh, and you know what? I don't know if he's an alcoholic or not. You know what? He knows where to come for help if he needs it. Sometimes I think he thinks he's not. That's his decision. He knows I love him. I'll never stop loving him. And I don't have to judge him. And I don't have to decide that, the answer to that question. It's his life. You know, and so um, then Grace, I get to tell you about Grace. Uh, You know, she grew up in these rooms, and she was always just a delight for me. And then a few years ago, probably two years, through two and a half years ago, I get a call from Laura that says, Mom, we found Grace on the streets of Corpus Christi. She did not know who she was or where she was. So Grace had gotten into some drugs. So Laura had a sponsee that took her, and she got clean. And so Grace now knows what to do. And so about a little over a year ago, we're all together. And Grace says, Grandma, I need to tell you something. And I said, what? And she said, I'm going to have a baby. (laughs) This time I said, how wonderful. (laughs) That's just great. Oh, I won't judge that anymore. You know, eight months ago. The most beautiful baby you have ever seen was born. I have a great granddaughter, and her name is Harper Ray. I get to love her for free. I get to play with her. When I walk into their house, she looks at me and she goes, Ah! I don't know if it's my face or no. Uh, we start we start screeching. She and I love to screech. And she loves to do music, and we're bouncing, and neither one of us have a lot of rhythm, but we're having the best time. So, you know what? I need to tell you, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. You know, there is this thing that I understand on this journey. There's going to be a lot of twists and turns, you know, and some of them are going to take you to, a, to the highest mountain, and some of them are going to take you to the pits. You know, but the good news is you have a hand to hold. You don't have to do anything by yourself ever again. This is such good news. I feel so blessed. I truly, truly do. I am just trying to do the next right thing. I have a home group, Marble Falls, Texas, 730 Monday night. 
and I'm sponsoring, and I'm in touch with Dawn every other day or so. I just adore her. She's moved to Chicago, so she and I do this long-distance call, but we are there. I have to close with one thing. Way, did you know that there is a page in our Courage to Change that says, this is the day you've been waiting for? Isn't that amazing? I've always worried about what was going to happen or worried about what did happen. This far. Okay, so I'm going to read you this really quick because I just love it. And it says, oh, shoot, wrong piece of paper. There it is. I would not exchange the laughter of my heart for the fortunes of the multitudes, nor would I be content with converting my tears into calm. It is my fervent hope that my whole life on this earth will ever be tears and laughter. And that's in Our Courage to Change by Cahil Gibran. You have been so kind to listen to me this morning and let me share my journey. Sometimes I think the best is yet to come. You have a journey. If you need, I wish, I hope you have an opportunity to share it because we want to hear it. Thank you for listening to me this morning.